0: section eighty seven of the story of old france this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. recording by marc de sanzo the story of old france by h a gerber section eighty seven madame de maintenon thanks to louis xiv's executive ability and to his famous helpers colbert and louvois the period from sixteen seventy four to sixteen eighty nine proved most prosperous for france in fact the country progressed more in those fifteen years than it did in the next hundred after Fouquet's disgrace colbert became minister of finances and was charged to watch over the commercial agricultural and industrial interests of the country although it was colbert's office to supply money enough for the king's wars buildings and other extravagances he earnestly tried to diminish and equalize the taxes and to check a dangerous tendency to borrow money he also encouraged the planting of flax and cotton and of mulberry trees for the silkworm industry had roads built and supplied funds for digging the great canal which connects the mediterranean sea and the atlantic ocean canal de languedoc he also founded factories for making cloth silk mirrors tapestry carpets lace etc and encouraged and protected the french colonies which until his day had been rather neglected colbert faithfully served the king from mazarin's death until his own in sixteen eighty three although his last days were saddened by the knowledge that louvois had supplanted him in the royal favor when a letter from the king was handed to him on his deathbed, he refused to read it saying bitterly like wolsey i will not hear the king spoken of again let me die in peace it is to the king of kings i now have to answer had i done for god what i have done for that man i should have found salvation ten times over and now i do not know what will become of me the people wrongly blamed colbert for the heavy taxes and hated him so intensely that they would have liked to insult his remains he therefore had to be buried secretly at night but he is now generally recognized as the creator of french industry commerce navy and finances louvois of whom the dying colbert was so jealous not only reformed the army but established the famous naval ports of brest and toulon and by diplomatic arts enabled france to take possession of the city of strasburg in time of peace without striking a single blow 1681. for nearly two hundred years thereafter this fortified town belonged to france and was one of the principal french strongholds of the northeast the defences of strasburg were greatly strengthened by vauban Louis's great military engineer who is said to have created an iron frontier by repairing five hundred old forts and building fifty-five new ones he is also said to have been present at fifty-three sieges and to have taken part in one hundred and forty-three engagements his talents were such that french people said a city besieged by vauban is a taken city a city fortified by vauban is an impregnable city although personally bold to the verge of foolhardiness vauban was always careful with his men's lives and so loyal a frenchman that he earned the title of patriot war having ceased at home after the treaty of nimfigan louis turned his attention to the serious depredations of the barbary pirates and put an end to them by sending a fleet to bombard algiers tunis and tripoli and to liberate the christian captives detained there in hard slavery then having discovered that the people of genoa had secretly supplied these pirates with ammunition louis next had that city bombarded also and refused to make peace until the doge president of the republic came in person to versailles to apologize the constitution of genoa however strictly forbade the doges leaving this city while in office so when a courtier asked him what surprised him most among all the wonders he beheld at versailles he simply and truthfully answered it is to see myself here maria theresa Louis's queen died in sixteen eighty three although louis had not been a good husband he had always treated her with outward courtesy and when she had passed away he said god has deprived me of a consort who never gave me any cause for grief except by her death." End quote. She had done her duty by giving her husband a son to inherit the crown, but the court made only a pretense of mourning her death. Tired of favorites, one of whom, Madame de Montspin, had much influence over him for many years, Louis the Fourteenth at last secretly married the governess of his children, Madame de Maintenon, a lady whom the courtiers punningly called, madame de maintenon meaning the present madame she was however never openly recognized as queen although she was often present at the royal council and the king frequently asked for her opinion calling her playfully your solidity and your reason of noble birth although extremely poor madame de maintenon had been glad when only sixteen to marry a sickly hunchbacked poet Scaron, who lived only eight years after their marriage in his house she proved such a witty and entertaining hostess that all the most noted people came to visit her sometimes when the poor poet's modest table was insufficiently supplied to satisfy the appetites of so many guests the waiter knowing his mistress's fascinating arts would whisper another story please madam for the roast is too small to-day a woman whose brilliant conversation could make hungry people forget to eat was of course able to amuse the old king who having tired of everything was apt to be capricious and easily bored but as madame de maintenon was very devout she insisted upon louis being pious too and encouraged the clergy to appear at court she also helped to persuade the king that it was his duty to stamp out protestantism in his realm you remember, do you not, that ever since the edict of Nantes granted by Henry the fourth, the protestants had been permitted to hold their form of worship in France. They were still most numerous in the south, and had by this time increased in numbers to such an extent that there were more than a million Huguenots in France. Louis the fourteenth tried to convert these people, at first by persuasion and then by force, actually sending dragoons to live in their houses and annoy them until they renounced their religion a system of persecution which is known as the dragonade next the king revoked the edict of nantes sixteen eighty five decreed that no more huguenot worship should be permitted in france ordered that all protestant ministers should be forced to leave the country and forbade any other huguenots to follow them the result of the dragonade and of the harsh edict of revocation was that many protestants perished about two hundred thousand escaped and the rest feigned conversion for the sake of peace as the huguenot emigrants were largely of the industrial class france was greatly impoverished by their loss while neighboring countries were correspondingly enriched Lyon, for instance which had boasted of eighteen thousand silk looms before the persecution began had only four thousand in operation when it was over moreover protestants everywhere resented the cruel treatment their brethren had suffered in france so that Louis thus created many bitter enemies abroad. End of section eighty seven.